Imperial Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Hello and welcome to The Brooke Taylor Show Special bonus episode This is a Lenten edition Thank you so much for joining me Before we jump into the theme of Lent And this is a big show with a lot to cover I do have an important order of business to mention So back in August of 2021 I had published an episode Announcing my final season of this podcast After six years That after that season aired at the end of December, I would be ending my show for now. Now, I also sent out a newsletter. I posted it on my platforms online. But when that last episode came out, I never really formally closed up shop. I never really said, this is it. This is the end. I kept my account open and everything active in kind of a just-in-case mode. So I wanted to explain that because that is my heart to keep it that way. I'm still paying for all of my active accounts to be open so that if something special like Lent, like now, and there's a need for an important show or information to convey, that this little portal is available. So I'm stepping back from publishing regular seasons and weekly shows because it was just time again after six years and over 200,000 downloads worldwide, a lot of beautiful memories and years in service, I pray for the glory of God. So thank you in a very crowded world of podcasts. Thank you for finding merit in this show and for sharing and supporting the content over the years. It's been so heartening to hear from our Podbean patrons, longtime listeners who have reached out. So I really wanted to just thank you for that more than anything. And I've also gotten questions about the Arise Retreat. Will there be another gathering in the future. And that too has been put in a kind of pause mode for the time being. For the last year, there has been a possibility that our family may move. And believe it or not, we actually still don't know. So just based on factors out of our control, we continue to, my husband and I pray the surrender novena, trust, discern, until we know where we will be exactly. I'm just doing my best (laughs) to stay the course, to trust in God's timing and praising Him in the meantime. And we are in a time in our lives, my husband and our family, which in some ways is tough, but also it's very beautiful to be reminded that we are not in control of every detail of our lives. And as a mom with my planner at the ready every day, it is a spiritual truth that has been very freeing and humbling and good to remember. Jesus and Mary, you take care of it. The practice of daily abandonment to Christ. Lord, take from my heart anxiety, desperation, anxiousness, and replace it with your peace to shut the eyes of the soul in peace and to practice reliance. Jesus, I trust in you. So let's see what God has in store for the next chapter. The one thing I can mention is that I have thoroughly been enjoying doing fill-in work on Relevant Radio. It's live radio, which which is my wheelhouse. That's my background. And periodically, I will have an opportunity to guest host, which was the case recently when I stepped in for my friend, Timory. She is a friend of the show. She's been on our program here a few times. And her show is called Trending. Be on the lookout for dates. I know in March, I'll be back again. And maybe you could even call in. That would be fun. So speaking of relevant radio and hosting and those shows, that's what we're going to do on today's show, a special Lenten edition with a portion of my recent interview 
interview with writer Kennedy Hall. His new book is called Terror of Demons. I highly recommend ordering it ASAP. He joined me on Relevant Radio to talk about it. So one of the chapters we explored is called Taming the Horse, and that is the excerpt where we will start in the interview that you're about to hear. Just to inspire some reflections, maybe a prompting to go deep this Lent, deep into the desert, deep into the heart of Christ as we return to Him, rending our hearts, not our garments. Return to Him with your whole heart. That beautiful book of Joel, Ash Wednesday Liturgy, we remember. And just this weekend, I was speaking at an event where one of the messages I emphasized is to remember everything we do has an eternal consequence. We don't have two lives, one now, then one later in heaven. Everything you do today, today, will have an impact for eternity. And that is sobering, and it should be. So how can we prepare? How is God calling us into a greater conversion? Take a listen to my conversation with Kennedy Hall. And in this segment, we start there with Taming the Horse. We talk about self-discipline. I'm actually going to play the majority of our conversation we had for the entire hour. We'll do maybe 30 minutes. We'll see how this goes, Mark. Producer Mark is going to pull the interview. So you'll miss the first half of the show, and I encourage you to check that out. I will link everything in the show notes as well as two other interviews on Relevant Radio, one with Patrick O'Hearn. I had a chance to talk to him, the author of the book Parents of the Saints, The Hidden Heroes Behind Our Favorite Saints. This was a book that had an enormous impact on me when I read it last year. I was really hoping to get him on the podcast. So excited to connect with him. So I really encourage, if you're interested, to check out that interview with Patrick. He goes into the stories and brings you the beautiful Parents of the saints bringing their lives to life in the little ways that they infused the beauty of the faith into the hearts of their children. So also my friend Layla Miller, she was also on the podcast last season, but she joined me on Relevant Radio recently as well. We took some live calls. You can hear that full hour with Layla. All of those, again, with Patrick, Layla, and Kennedy, I will link up for you in the show notes. So right now, let's jump into that segment, starting at Taming the Horse, going into a a bit of a Lenten boot camp with Kennedy Hall. Now, you have a chapter entitled Taming the Horse, which kind of sets the table for a call to self-mastery. So I guess as we talk about pride and we have to ourselves try to be practice asceticism and self-mastery and discipline. And one of the things I enjoy so much about your book, It's Terror of Demons, is the references to St. Paul. I I saw that he was referenced there too. But because Paul is one of the great forerunners, one of our greatest saints and soldiers of the faith, Paul knew God and he knew the minds of men and he knew how to use the language of victory and of sport and discipline to draw us in to this cosmic battle of the church militant. And so he commands us to stand fast in the faith and that once we take our stand, once we take our stand as a believer, it is the greatest adventure and it's once and for all that we will lay down our lives. And that was it. It's death or glory. And you know it is death to glory, but no retreat, that we're not going to turn back. We're not going to give up and retreat because heaven is our goal. And that part of how we prepare is to put on the armor of God, to wear the armor of Christ daily. And so I like how you set that up in Taming the Horse, which really begins with 
a movie. You talk about the the movie Spirit, which is a Disney film, and the this the spirit of a horse. Can you take us into that concept? Sure. Yeah, I think it's technically DreamWorks. I don't know. Maybe some oh, that's Disney right. aficionados would people into trivia. <laughs> <You're I don't. laughs> Sorry um, about that. And it's Brian Adams does the soundtracks. So there's yes. a little Canadian shout out, shout out. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that movie, it's a fun little movie. It's one of those ones that's like, you know, moral and kid friendly. So it's, we've got, we've got it on our shelf as part of our collection. And um, it's about a Mustang who is, you can tell I have little kids. I'm talking about these children's movie in my book, but it's about a Mustang who is um, wild. Okay. And then he's captured and um, they can't tame him. They just can't. Uh, they, he's captured by the sort of uh, uh, Union soldiers or Continental soldiers of uh, the United States government at the time. It's based in the 1800s or something. Uh, railroads being constructed. And um, anyway, he can't be tamed. Um, and because he can't be tamed, it actually causes a lot of destruction. He's a really capable horse. He's really, uh, he's really strong. He's really valiant. He's got a lot of physical qualities. But he just can't be tamed. So uh, eventually he escapes, and then uh, like a native fellow finds him. And he kind of understands the horse a little bit better. But this native fellow, he himself is actually kind of wild, and he can't be tamed. You know, they're both sort of these, these untamable um, people. You know, they just or, or these creatures. They just sort of have their physical, irascible states about them, and they can't be tamed. Eventually, they sort of tame each other. And then, the, you know, you follow them through this journey in the movie, and they do the most un- amazing things, unimaginable things together, and, um, you know, find the, the victory in the film and things. And I use that as an analogy because we have a body and we have a soul, okay? And the analogy is that, you know, our body is like the horse. It's capable of great things, but our body is not intelligent. It has to be guided, okay? And then we have a soul, which is the form of our body, and our intellect is in our soul. It's a metaphysical property. So, you know, we don't think about it because it's so instantaneous, but everything that we do with our bodies, it sort of begins in the soul because it's an act of the intellect to, to move your arm or whatever. Um, so when we don't tame our body all those good things that it's capable of run amok and uh, m- metaphorically destroy the whole village, you know, and that, that's through sin and that's through, through silly actions and pain and suffering we cause ourselves and others. Um, but at the same time, there has to be a great act of the will in the intellect to do so and to actually uh, take the time to bring the body into subjection, into submission. And it causes a lot of suffering in the short term, a lot of pain, but it leads to a long-term gain. And um, right now with Lent coming up, that's exactly what we're preparing to do is we're preparing to tame the horse. We're preparing to uh, subjugate the uh, desires or the instincts, let's say, of our, of our physical nature. And we're going to be um, subjugating those to the higher desires of our soul, of our metaphysical nature, um, which are oriented towards God. And then we do that through prayer and penance. I want to stop there because that's going to kind of take us into the next part of our little spiritual boot camp here. You're listening to Trending. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory with Kennedy Hall. I, I love the concept, the idea of where we are right now in the book of taming the horse. So we're going to talk about self-mastery. What are some small practices that will make big gains in our spiritual life? The name of the book is Terror of Demons. After the break, we'll be right back with more. Stay with us. And welcome back, talking about 
heroic virtue, reclaiming traditional Catholic masculinity, what a beautiful thing that is, and how desperately needed, and examining how we can mobilize men of heroic virtue. And it starts with small things. You probably suspected that, not a big surprise there. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We know the the Holy Rosary. We know the gift and the blessing of, of the sacraments and our devotions, but also to getting up at 4.30 a.m. And Kennedy, I know for you, right in there, I was like, I knew it. I knew you were going to do that. I just didn't know how early. Do you really get up at 4.30 a.m. every morning? I do my best. I have a whole portion of the book. It's called, you know, Wake Up. It's not a good thing to proof text. You know, we shouldn't be uh, finding like, you know, one little word or passage in the Bible and, and then making a whole theology out of it necessarily. But there are dozens and dozens of examples in the Bible where God literally calls someone to awaken from their sleep. You also find in Proverbs and wisdom literature about, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, blessed is he who wakes up with the sun, things like that, you know. Waking up early is, quite frankly, just the best way to start your day with the win. It can be 4.30, it can be 5.30, it could be 6.30, depending on, you know, what kind of shifts you work at work or something like that. There's just a, for me, there's personally just a sort of peace and quiet in the morning before my children are awake. Like, so I write for um, a bunch of publications. I, I'm a journalist at LifeSite News uh, full-time. I write for Crisis. I write for Catholic Family News. I write for Christ, uh, for 1 Peter 5. I'm on the uh, contributing editor board there. And I've got lots to write all the time. Plus, I, you know, I, I, I have to write books. I try to write books. And I've, I've written another book that's um, called Lockdown with the Devil. It's sort of a screw tape letters style thing. And I do most of my freelance writing at, you know, like 5 in the morning or 5.30, there's just something about that time in the morning where even if, if I have like an hour and a half before my kids are awake and they need me to help them with breakfast, um, it's like I can get four or five hours of productivity in at that time. It's very, I don't understand it. Um, so I like to uh, recommend to people that get up early, get a workout in as early as you can. Um, there's no physical reason I say that. I'm, I'm sure there's trainers that would say afternoon is just as good. But for me, it's more of a discipline thing, right? It's like you start your day with something difficult. Get your heart rate up. Gives you a huge amount of energy. Get your blood flowing. Clears your mind, which actually also helps with prayer, so you can say your morning prayers. Um, and then you get a kickstart to the day. And by the time, you know, around 8 or like 9, 9.30, when we were done praying the family rosary, and I've been up since, you know, 4.30, and I've been doing all that stuff, the most deserved feeling of fatigue hits you. <laughs> and you just go to yourself, you know, I am so grateful that I'm about to go to sleep and you feel like you've earned it. Um, which in our culture, which is so, uh, let's say, um, likely or, or, or um, able to fall into sloth or something like sloth, it really is a refreshing way to live. And you just always feel like you've accomplished so much. It's interesting. When I was studying the, the medieval life, I had found an article that in the Middle Ages, some people had a second sleep. And obviously, just the nature of no electricity and the way that the, the cadence of the clock was, that is also where partly we... I don't want to attribute it to that, but the liturgy of the hours, because there was all through the night, people were up at different times. And it is always fascinating because that is very much the monastic tradition of rising early. And if in our own lives and in whatever stage and phase we are, we can develop that. Like, like you said, it is, it's such a beautiful time to give our Lord the first fruits. And in your book, you say, to arise when your eyes are heavy and your legs are stiff is a way that you can train yourself for the resurrection. Sleep is a sort of 
mini death we go through to recharge every night. And when we arise through the deadly weight of fatigue, we practice conquering the grave. The old man, the sinful man, wishes to stay asleep and knows not how to escape the grave. Now, I know you also, as you just pointed out, you talk about if you're sick or if you can. <laughs> Obviously, there's no guilt trip here, but just the yeah. beauty of the invitation, the invitation to consider it. And Christ showed us the way with his resurrection, and we can pay homage to this every morning. And while we're on that topic, I want to give a plug. You mentioned 1 Peter 5 because you talk yep. about preparing for Lent. I think it was just today that you had an article I saw come out. So mm-hmm. maybe we can just build on that a little bit. So if we sure. are preparing in terms of Lent, okay, so I want to try to wake up early. You also have mm-hmm. some additional suggestions. Could you bring us into those? Sure, yeah. It's an article called um, Five Ways to Have a Good a good Trad Lent, <laughs> sort of traditional. Um and uh, it was sort of, a lot of the stuff in here is stuff that I do talk about in the book. And uh, basically, uh, I recommend that we do everything we can to approach. And, and approach is, I mean that, because our, the old Lent that, that uh, Catholics did before basically 1950s or so was a lot more difficult. And, and you go back further than that, and it was even more difficult than that. I mean, they would give up. They basically were vegans. Um, but not only vegans, um, they also wouldn't eat until usually 12 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's where the word breakfast is. Which is still the case in the Eastern. I, I know for the Byzantine Church it as is. well. Yeah. It is. The, the Eastern, though, um, in the West, it was always a prescription that was under pain of sin. So, like, you had to have a dispensation to not do certain disciplines. Whereas in the East, they've always had a stricter regimen, but then um, it's it hasn't been the case where... Uh, it's under the pain of sin. They also uh, haven't fasted on Saturdays and Saturdays as well. Um, so they do sometimes have a longer Lent, sort of a sexagesima, like the couple weeks before um, regular Lent starts. Anyway, but one of the things I say is um, uh, fasting from food. That seems obvious, but uh, it's not that easy to do when you haven't ever done it. And listen, I'm guilty of this, okay? I never fasted like a day in my life. I was a football player and a rugby player and a weightlifter. Like, you know, if I could have, like, any more calories, the better. I mean, it lift, you know, all the protein shakes and everything. I grew up that way. So when I embraced the faith in my mid-20s and I was like, man, I got to do all this fasting stuff now, that was really tough for me. You don't realize that, you know, uh, snacking between meals, if you stop doing that, that's actually really hard. Not drinking pop or putting sugar in your coffee and, you know, so there's lots of ways where you can adopt a practice for Lent, and it's more difficult than, you know, the classic giving up chocolate or, you know, not being negative or something, which I, I guess don't be negative and don't eat chocolate, I guess, but but that's not really that hard. And I guess, Kennedy, I guess okay. if you're pregnant, it's, I beg to not, differ. it's probably hard. I beg to differ. Pardon? <laughs> the chocolate yeah. is very hard. Yeah, I know. Say- <laughs> My wife is right now, she's about five months pregnant, so she's not fasting from chocolate. That's not going to happen. <laughs> she gets the um, pass, for sure. But one argument that you might hear, Kennedy, is people, someone might say, oh, that's so letter of the law, but we know the reason behind it, the heart for hi- behind it, because in reading your article, you do, and again, a lot of this appeals to, I'm going to challenge the men. I have four sons, my husband, and this is what speaks to them. It is the cold showers. It is the rigorous activity. You talk about that as well, another one, even fasting from technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and listen, like, you know, there's definitely a way where people can be legalist or something, but we are like light years away from that. 
<laughs> right. You know, like we're we're living in a time where very little is expected of us in the church. You know, I wish more was expected. It's there's just it's just not, and there's reasons for that, and that's that's another conversation. So there's a lot that we can do that goes beyond the letter of the law, and we should do everything we can to embrace that. You know, it, it also we're also not told by the church that we ought to pray the rosary every day in some official capacity. But the mother of God is supposed to do that on multiple occasions. So we should probably just do it, you know. Um, so I know I know people, you know, definitely. I, I go to a traditional parish and, and I'm in the whole scene. And there are people for sure that can fall into a sort of, um, let's say, legalism. But you know what? That's their own thing and that's not the reason behind it. Um, as far as fasting from technology, that's a big one. And that's really a modern one because... Um, uh, so I get a lot of men because I wrote this book and, and because I do talks and things like this in you know, a podcast or whatever, men will ask me about how to kick their, um, their addiction to evil images, you know, pornography. And um, I like to use the term evil images because I think it, it explains what it actually is. Yeah. And uh, they'll tell me, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm praying a rosary. I've got the filter on my computer and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but are you still scrolling your cell phone? and going on Facebook or whatever you're doing, you know, are you still going on Twitter? Are you still playing video games? And they say, well, yeah, I am. And I say, well, hold on. Obviously, uh, scrolling on your cell phone is not in- intrinsically sinful. But there's a dopamine kick. There's a, there's a, it's like a sugar for your brain that you're getting when you see these colors and these images and this new information. And it's like this little slot machine where you keep trying to win, you know. And if you're not careful, you're still feeding a very similar muscle that is a part of your addiction. Um, so one of the best ways for men to kick that terrible habit is not just to give up the thing itself, which of course you should do, but also to give up the sort of framework that facilitates that thing. It's, it's not an accident that in today's world we have this problem with that addiction. It's because the technology of today's world facilitates that addiction to even happen in the first place. So we have to go to the root cause, and fasting from technology is a big deal. And, and people will say to me, well, I can't fast from technology. I have to go on something at my job. Fine. That's fine. You, you know, you're there from 9 to 5, and you're like a digital marketing or data input or something. That's cool. You go on it, and you, but you don't bring it home with you. Or people will say, you know, well, my, you know, I have to have a smartphone for work. You know, there are a few jobs out there for sure where you need to have a smartphone and maybe that's your job. And if it, and if it's a big enough problem, you know, I have to find a new job, but I'm like, I'm literally a journalist. I, I'm, I'm, my life is on the internet. I'm a journalist. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. I'm all these things. Every single professional thing I do through the internet. I don't have a smartphone. I'm actually mm-hmm. talking to you on this, uh, Nokia, uh, 225. It's just like a classic phone with keys and the button and whatever. And, um, I'm fine. I've never missed a professional opportunity I don't, uh, I keep up on social media when I'm sitting at my desk and then I walk away. Um, so I would actually encourage everyone listening, even if they're going to do some sort of food fasting or whatever, I would encourage everyone to consider a technology fast. You know what you need to use it for, but you know what you don't need to use it for. And um, uh, being able to c- take control of that is so empowering because when you take a break from certain technological habits, you actually have a feeling where you go, oh my goodness, I'm not only taking control of my habits, I'm taking control of my mind. And if you can take, take control of your mind and clear space in there, then it's only going to help to bring you closer to God because there's more space for him. 
Important production note, by the way, Lucas, our producer, said, uh, and Kennedy's phone sounds better than most I've heard because you are <laughs> connecting to this interview via Great. phone. So, hey, that's fantastic. But I think what holds a lot of people back, I can, I, it's interesting, I was just reflecting today on two years ago running an ultra marathon and I had a DNF and I learned so much from that. A, a DNF is a did not finish. It was a 50 mile race. I made it 33 miles, which I guess if I was going to DQ, it should be at mile 33, right? I had a knee injury, but I went so far beyond what I ever imagined. I, I really, when I signed up for the race, I never thought, I, I, I just didn't know that I would be able to do it. And I had that injury, but I couldn't believe that I got 33 miles. And in an an initial invitation to sign up for the race, I was so afraid. But the idea to be afraid, it just, if you're called to something, and, and this is what I love about Mother Angelica, is she stood before the world with an eye patch and in a traditional habit of a nun, and she spoke the gospel, and she forgot herself. Un, unto folly, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux would say, to serve our Lord. And I think so often we're afraid. Well, I don't, I don't want to just completely get off my online platforms because I have connections there. And I do agree. Uh, for me as a special needs parent, I do have fellowship with other parents of children with special needs. I appreciate that. But there are other ways. And sometimes we just have excuses. I made a million excuses why I wouldn't be able to do the race. And I was able to accomplish that. The same thing with rigorous activity. And the beautiful thing in the spiritual life is it doesn't matter if you are eight or 80, there is something that we can all do. And we know as we listen to the movements of our interior life, what our Lord is calling us to. And that is what St. Augustine talks about is such a great adventure. And I think that's one of the great gifts of men is to be induced to lead through that. So I really appreciate the examples that you're laying out. Do you have, we just have a minute until the break, but a few quick things that have come to you that you're going to practice this Lent. I know you said the technology fast. For sure. I'm going to uh, partial abstinence, partial fasting, um, cold shower. So partial fasting means that I basically, basically intermittent fasting. Um, only one meat meal a day, uh, Wednesday, Friday, no meat. Um, uh, what else? Cold showers, and um, no alcohol, and I don't know, something else. I'll, I'll, I'll do it with some buddies, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> That's good. Well, when we come back, I want you to speak a little bit to, to the fear aspect and how we can awaken the slumbering men out there, and we'll get to that as well as how to pagan-proof your home. When we come back, we're going to dig into that as well. Kennedy Hall joining us. His book is Terror of Demons, Reclaiming Traditional Masculinity. Thank you for being here. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Just 10 minutes left. Can we do it? We've been walking through the spiritual boot camp, getting pumped up with Kennedy Hall, the author of Terror of Demons, talking about the roots of effeminacy, talking about it. Yes, we, in the beginning of the show, looked at pride, original sin, where we are, where we're going, self-mastery, spiritual warfare. G.K. Chesterton says, so we see these three elements, a battle to fight, a beauty to win, and a blessing to share. And I think Kennedy is so masterful in the way that he has painted 
that picture through his book and the call, the call to men to rise up. And so we just have a few minutes left, Kennedy. I want to get to a few things really important. One of, I don't want to skip over this that you talk about because we don't hear a whole lot about it is chastening and mortifying. And you have a disclaimer in that portion of your book that it should be done after consultation with a spiritual director, but you have so many really brilliant suggestions. You talk about, for example, if you use power tools in your job, maybe use manual tools for some tasks, or you can feel the burn in your forearms and shoulder works. There's a soul craft to working with your hands. And that you, if you have headphones in all the time, just to train our brain. So because we're desiring that audible pleasure all the time, these are things I don't think we think about a lot. So I, can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Really appreciate that you put that in there as well. Sure. So, um, you know, our day is full of creature comforts, our daily routines. And um, again, this is something that you, you know, do in your own prudence and you figure out what you can do. Um, I have buddies who are dairy farmers who I would never tell them to do anything (laughs) harder than what they do because (laughs) they work twice as hard as I ever will. Um, But, you know, there are lots of little things you could do. Um, You know, even, for example... um, Taking the headphones out is a good one because that is actually a pleasurable thing where you are uh, sort of having a drip of distraction into your brain. Again, there are it's good to listen to books on audio. It's good to listen to radio shows like this one. Like those sorts of things are good. Um, but you know, if we find that from the minute that we get up in the morning, you, you know, I don't I don't have those AirPod headphones, but you know, they're in people's ears literally the entire day uh, walking around. It's like a status symbol or something. I don't think it's a good thing. I see, I see young kids when I was teaching at high school, you know, they would be so addicted to music um, that, you know, like they couldn't take it out of their ears and it would cause a scene to try to give them, you know, get them to take the iPod away or whatever. That's not good. And there's little things in our lives that are like that. So rather than getting to the point where we have this total, um, you know, sort of dependency on something that we could live without, we should try to deny ourselves in little ways throughout the day. Here in um, Canada, one of the things that I do is, and I'm, I'm young enough, I'm 33, I don't have like, an, you know, I'm, I'm not dealing with my, my back having a bunch of injuries like it might when I'm older, but I shovel the snow instead of using a snowblower. It takes me like 10 extra minutes and it's twice as hard. There's little things like that that we can always do um, and it just helps us to sort of keep ourselves grounded. With regards to the headphones, you say streaming certain music directly into our head at all hours of the day is another way to train ourselves to crave vices for comfort. In fact, exorcists like Father Chad Ripperger requires possessed patients to go through a regimen before an exorcism. Throughout the process, all music except for Gregorian chant is cast aside for the duration. So that's notable as well. Yes, yeah, that's right. Again, it comes back to the quiet of mind and the distractions. When I had my uh, iPhone, I still have it in a drawer somewhere. I use it for music sometimes, for like a, a, listening to a book or something. Um, but when I would had it on my actual phone, um, I, was on, I was on my phone way too much, you know, and I always had a reason for it. And then when I finally stopped using it, I actually remember the night where the phone I ordered arrived. And I sat out on the back deck and I put on a podcast with no headphones. So it was just playing from the phone. And I remember looking up, it was in the summer. I looked up at the stars 
And I know it's so high tech for, you know, a hundred years ago, but for our age, it was just one voice, a little speaker, and there was no scrolling and there was no likes and there was no messages. And, uh, it was like I had gotten out of a prison or something. I, I can't, I can't explain it. Um, anyway, so there's lots of things like that that we can do and, and they'll, they'll, they'll bring our minds to a place of quiet so we can then focus on praying and contemplating God. What, was that difficult for you to untether from a smartphone? I mean, it sounds like obviously it was a very liberating feeling when it yeah. happened, but, did, but you, did you have moments where you had that feeling like, oh my goodness, what did I do? I'm sure it's, it's so interesting because I know so many people that I've spoken to who are saying, I'm, I'm ready for the dumb phone, I'm done with the smartphone, yeah. but haven't taken that leap yet. I, I mean, I've thought about it and haven't done it yet. It wasn't really that hard for me to do because um, I was really prepared for it. Like I was, I was sick of my phone. I, it's almost like I, I hated it, you know. Um, obviously, it was weird. It was almost like I had just it was too much sweets or something. I overdosed on it. And um, but that being said, I had planned to do it, so I was ready. Like I again, I'm a journalist, so we use this Microsoft Teams app, and we're expected to answer our calls. Um, but I have a laptop. So, I mean, I'm in my house and I just take it with me wherever I go in the house and it's, you know, but when I leave the house, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to write an article I'm driving anyway. So it makes no difference. If I have to, I just bring the laptop with me if, if I have to go visit somebody and the odd time, maybe my wife drives and I finish writing something when I'm in the car, but these are rare, you know, like I thought about every possible obstacle that would come up and I realized, I mean, goodness gracious, with a a five-year-old laptop and an internet connection, we have more than they had, you know, at NASA 50 years ago as far as technology is concerned. So there's, there's we're not lacking for options of how to replace that. It's true. I uh, We only have just a few more minutes left. And sure. I, I promised, I promised my son I would ask you this question for the young sure. demographic, the teen boy. Is there a book, he said your top three, that you would recommend for Lent or just a general classic library that every man should have? Sure. Um, my book, I tell parents to um, vet it themselves first, depending on where their child is at as far as what they can read in maturity. And so I would say maybe for an older teenager, if the parents are okay with it, they could they could check out my book. Um, uh, my, maybe it sounds funny, but uh, I really love reading my kids the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. And we don't read enough fiction anymore, in my opinion. And I think that for a lot of young men, they've lost this sense of being a hero and a knight and being valiant. I would almost recommend to just pick up that series and just sort of let yourself get lost in valor and, 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 and being valiant and, and chivalrous and things. I think that's good. Um, and then I would encourage young men to read through the book of Proverbs and the book of Sirach, especially Sirach. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things in there. Um, where it will really tell you the dangers of certain appetites and behaviors in ways that you just don't find anywhere else. Thank you. God bless you. And St. Michael, defend us in battle. And there you go. That is Kennedy Hall. The book is Terror of Demons. Thank you to my friends at Relevant Radio for allowing me to pull the interview for the podcast for my producer, Mark, for grabbing that. And thank you to Kennedy Hall for the Lenten boot camp pump up. A lot to think about. You know, after the last show that I hosted in the week of guest hosting with Layla Miller, 
it was heavy. The topic was giving voice to now adult children of divorce. And this work, it is palpably powerful. Holy Spirit, fire, truth, powerful, but very heavy as well. So I came up from my studio after the end of the show. I sat with the crucifix and the icons and the altar in my prayer room. I didn't turn the light on. I just sat in the dark. And then I decided to delete Facebook. I deleted Instagram from my phone. It wasn't some grand strategy. I hadn't announced it. I just felt called and did it. A lot of it is based on that conversation with Kennedy from that interview that you just heard, as well as processing everything with Layla and the need to really jar myself out of whatever stupor I feel I've been in for a while. And so we'll see how that goes. It's hard. I'll just say on a personal note, in Catholic ministry, just to disappear in a way, it's always been a mission of mine to illumine whatever little corner or square that I'm in with the splendor of Christ in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the hills and valleys, whatever way possible. So there's always that tug, but it's also okay to take a break. And that's what I was hearing and feeling. And there again, going back to the top of the show, what I said about taking control out of my own hands, giving it to our Lord, may he have free reign to move and call in whatever way he sees fit. So since I deleted those apps from my phone, I've replaced my nightly scrolling with getting on my knees next to my bed. There's an old torn missile that I purchased at an antique store over the summer. And I've been praying that at night, at the end of the missile, there are prayers. Catholics would traditionally always say evening prayers. They consist of reciting the act of faith, hope, and charity, and an act of resignation, a prayer of protection during the night. And they only take a few minutes, but it's been a beautiful replacement. And then in the morning, instead of habitually reaching for my phone first thing, I've replaced it with rising from bed to kneel for just a few minutes in the morning. Every Catholic should make the sign of the cross upon waking to bless yourself. That's according to the prayers of the Missal. And then to pray a renewal of baptismal vows and confirmation graces. Again, these only take minutes. And if we're getting up, okay, I'm not confession time, getting up at 4.30, like Kennedy said, but maybe we should, maybe I should. Something to consider. And I think that's always the takeaway is we all have to recognize with common sense and discernment and attentiveness to our interior life, where we're being called, where we're being challenged. A few little takeaways. I wish you so many, many graces this Lenten season. For resources, I definitely recommend that book by Kennedy Hall, Terror of Demons, as well as the book I was sharing about with Patrick O'Hearn, Parents of the Saints. You can find them again in the links that will be posted in the show notes, as well as the full interviews on Relevant Radio. And feel free to reach out. The Brooke Taylor Show at gmail.com is an easy way. I still am on Facebook, even though the apps are deleted from my phone, both Instagram and Facebook still are active. I didn't erase my accounts and the messenger feature does still work. I know I'll be called back to post things periodically, but I have to say it has been liberating at least in the five days or so to go (laughs) without the apps on my phone. That's a big deal for me. It's a big change. Whatever you have set your heart to, I just wish you great faithfulness and strength and endurance and perseverance as you begin this journey. God bless you, friends. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord's light shine upon you and give you peace.